0: This episode of the Up for Discussion podcast is brought to you in part by Whiskey Lane. Launched in Kelowna, BC, and now expanding to Montreal, Whiskey Lane is on a mission to share their obsession with quality food and drinks with growing audiences. By keeping the best local flavors on their minds and on their tongues. No matter what your business needs to grow, Whiskey Lane knows how to make it happen. Whiskey Lane bringing long lines to the producers of specialty food and drinks go to whiskeylane.ca to find out more and that's whiskey the Canadian way without an e I hope you understand it just takes- Hi, I'm Tom Zalatnay, you're listening to episode 292 of Up for Discussion, a show about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. Every week, we tackle a different ingredient, dish, or style of cuisine, sharing our favorite recipes and learning from our wonderful guests. Today, we're talking all about biryani. But first, before we dig in, I want to take a minute to acknowledge that the studio where I'm recording is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember that the lands we occupy are not our own, and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. So I want to encourage you to take some time today and every day to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and with the indigenous communities thereof. Somehow, despite growing up in a neighborhood with several fantastic Indian restaurants and eating at all of them regularly for most of my life, I had never eaten biryani until this past week. And man, do I regret all that lost time. What I had always overlooked as probably just another rice dish proved to be so much more. It was powerfully flavorful and spicy. Uh, this one had super tender chicken paired with a really nice cucumber raita, And, uh, It was awesome, and I'm really annoyed that I didn't know about that until fairly recently. (laughs) What I find really interesting about biryani, though, is that there is almost as many variations of it across the Indian subcontinent and its diaspora as there are Regions of that part of the world, so it might be kind of hard for us to talk unilaterally about it as a dish today. But we're going to do our best. Today's topic was requested by one of my supporters over on Patreon, uh, Thomas, not me, (laughs) under a you know pseudonym. It is a different Thomas, I promise. Uh, And he requested this over at Patreon.com/slash-up for discussion. If you want to request a topic for a future episode of the show, you can do that by supporting us on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. Okay. Enough about that. Let's dig in. Today I am joined by a very special guest. Simon Majumder is a food writer and television personality. You've probably seen him on Iron Chef, Beat Bobby Flay, Cutthroat Kitchen, or my personal favorite, Guy's Grocery Games. He's also got a fantastic podcast called Eat My Globe, where he dives deep into the history of food, and I have binged a whole lot of it in the past few weeks. His new season actually launches today, October 5th, and is available wherever you get your podcasts. Simon, thanks so much for joining me.
1: It's my very great pleasure. Very great pleasure. I was fascinated that this week was your first time to have a biryani, which is a a staple not only in my kitchen, but also of my kind of past. I love biryanis of all the different styles.
0: This kind of brings me to the first question I was going to ask you, which is just what is your history with biryani?
1: (laughs) Well, I think, you know, my my background, as you can tell from my name, Simon Majumdar has uh, Indian antecedents. So my father uh, was from Calcutta. Uh, Calcutta makes a very peculiar, I say peculiar in the nicest sense of the word, a very definite style of biryani. (laughs) And we can talk about its history in a moment. But uh, so I've been eating styles of biryani for as long as I can possibly remember. And the moment that I started to cook, that passion for rice with stuff from around the world has always been something I've really loved. So, you know, we had a family home in Spain. Spain's one of my favorite countries that's also got a a version of rice with stuff. You also see it obviously in South and Central America. You see it across Southeast Asia. So that combination of rice with food I think is just something uh, as an Asian or South Asian in part anyway that I absolutely love. So, uh, And then as I started to become more adept in the kitchen uh, over the years, it's something that I make, even though I say so myself, I make very well. I made some the other day and put a picture on Instagram of it. So it's just, it's one of my wife's favorite things to eat and, I just think it, uh, people often don't know about it, but I think it just has great history.
0: Yeah, that's it. I uh, I mean, like I said in my intro, I hadn't really thought about it that much, right? And I think that was a, I mean, obviously a huge mistake because like I said, I ended up really loving it and it ended up being so filling in the one portion I got that I had more for lunch the next day which was awesome <laughs> always that's always something I look out for with um takeout is like an a uh, food that I can eat again the next day that's still just as good and this definitely checked that box but yeah when uh, when my patron Thomas suggested this I was like oh man like I got to, I got to do some experimenting here. And, uh, <laughs> I, this is, this is how dedicated I am to this. I, uh, had to order from two different restaurants to get it because the first restaurant I ordered from accidentally sent me Palau.
1: Well, you know, which is, which comes from a similar source. I mean, biryanis and, uh, I mean, most rice dishes outside of, you know, when you look at the history of rice and you look at, uh, you know, kind of the kind of for want of better words, the two big bangs be it China and the Yangtze River and then uh, sub Saharan Africa, mm-hmm. where you get rice developing in different forms. But a lot of the rice dishes that we eat these days in, in various places are, originated from Persia. Okay. And the Persians brought paella down to, because uh, it's pulau became paella oh. in uh, became, became pilaf. Right. And also uh, then going the other way uh the word b- biyani, i think and i may have got that wrong word wrong from the persian but meant to be fried right kind of something that was fried and then cooked with rice that went into india when the moguls kind of in the 1500s in, invaded india and they took it but what happened in a very classical indian way is that as they the moguls moved from, from, through india and the dish became more popular it got tweaked in every different state, in every different town almost, to the ways that the people liked it using the ingredients they had, using the spices that they had to their own particular tastes. So it's become this uniquely kind of, and I say, and you said it absolutely correctly, the kind of India and its diaspora. So I would include in that the the best biryani I've ever eaten was in uh, Yangon in Burma. Or, or Myanmar, I was. Forgive me for saying Burma, but I just think of it in terms of uh, the Burmese part when it was Burma, sure, Burma yeah. was part of the British Indian Empire. And um, the best biryani I've ever eaten there, because there's a big Indian population in there. It, as I said, it used to be part of the British Indian territories,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they make phenomenal biryanis there. So, um, and it has a style of its own. And so, I just think it has this great history. It has this way that it's altered the dish that when it's gone in there but they all come from you know pull out comes from the same root and really it's hard to get sometimes to explain the difference the way i think about it is that i think of the rice cooked with the meat mm. usually in a sealed pot but that but then there are differences to that in different styles of biryani pull out tends to be uh you know given more fruits mm-hmm. you know nuts it's a rich indulgent dish as indeed as biryani can be but I mean, trust me, I'd eat both of them. And there are <laughs> wonderful, you know, pull-out restaurants in Mumbai and places like that that I've eaten very great meals in too.
0: I'm curious, because when we first started talking about this, you said that your family has, I think you said a peculiar way of doing it?
1: Well, not... I, or did you say particular? <laughs> wrong, well, I said peculiar, but I probably <laughs> meant particular. It's just that it's lockdown is robbing me of all of my kind of vocabulary. But no, but but Calcutta... You know, part of the you know of Bengal where my father's family are from. When they got there, it was basically one of the kind of moguls had been thrown out of Delhi or wherever they had conquered, and came to Calcutta and created a capital there. You know, meat was more expensive; it was harder to cook. So they, what they did is they replaced a lot of the meat in a dish in Calcutta with potatoes. So you often okay. see. I know when I see people writing about Calcutta biryani it's a lighter taste in spice uh, it's a, I think in many ways a lot more nuanced uh, um, but they but kind of beautiful light flavorings and then potatoes which are kind of prerequisite for a Bengali to have in there and I'm not the biggest fan of potatoes in okay. in my when I, I tend to go more towards what I call the classic style which is the one that a lot of people in the West know the hyderabadi style. Mm-hmm. Which is where you will have what it sounds like you had. You have a raw meat dish, chicken that you would cook, uh, you know, that you would marinate rather in yogurt and spices. Mm-hmm. You put that in the bottom of the pot. You then uh, put rice on top of that, sometimes par-cooked rice, and then you with spices and fried onions and I mean all kinds of wonderful stuff as you discovered. Right. And then and then you seal that pot with dough. Oh. And what happens is that everything then steams inside as the chicken cooks. Uh-huh. I, I like to do it on the bone often. And then as the juices come out, that cooks and finishes cooking the chicken. So, of course, it's got immense flavor. Right. Uh, but all those flavors are trapped inside. Uh, there's a there's a similar dish in France called, and I don't know if linguistically there's any root between them called daube, D-A-U-B-E, which is where they seal a pot with beef and and they seal it with dough. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing not, but just the notion of sealing something so it keeps in its flavours right. is is one that I'm sure happened in a lot of places. But the the flavours that you get, and particularly when you've uh, laced the rice, and good basmati rice is absolutely essential. Right. Yeah. I always say to people, go to your you know, great Indian store, get a big bag of the really good basmati rice, and the aroma of it is just something divine to me truly it's a proof of the existence of God I think the smell (laughs) of great basmati and you you would um, dribble over it a little of saffron soaked Mm. water and that gives it colour you would mix in fried onions which I tend to fry mixed in corn flour and then fry them and it's a great way to actually make fried onions anyway for tobacco onions or anything you try and cook. Um, use mint, you use cilantro leaf, you use you know all the spices. I use whole spices in there as well and so it's I mean it really is a thing of beauty the hydroponic style. When you open that pot, and I cook it for private dinners sometimes and you bring it to the table, family style, and you open it up, it is... You can understand why it was one of the beloved dishes of the kind of mogul emperors, because it's rich and regal in its kind of presentation.
0: Yeah, well, and the smell, too, is just like nothing else, right? Like, I, I really going into it you know i'd seen photos right prior to eating it for the first time i'd looked it up to see kind of what i was what i was looking at and <laughs> you don't you don't get the smell out of a photo right especially the sort of sterile photos that you see on like wikipedia or on a google search like a lot of the time you don't necessarily really get it until you open that takeout container and it wafts up at you and you get the steam from the from the the rice and it was incredible and then it just had this this perfect level of heat that like hit me just enough <laughs> that I wasn't like reaching for something to deal with it but that I could like taste it and feel it and it it woke me up a little bit you know
1: well i think the one of the um kind of myths about indian food is they think that people mistake spicy for heat right and a lot of a lot of that comes from not from what i would call kind of genuine indian food but mm-hmm. comes from British curry house food and sure. a lot of Indian restaurants around the world tend to be run uh, almost in the style of British curry house food. Mm-hmm. Now there's nothing wrong with British curry house food. I actually <laughs> was brought up on it and I love it and I love going for my you know curry on a Friday night and <laughs> my pint and a lot of people have done that. Uh, but I think of it as almost as a very different cuisine mm-hmm. from genuine Indian food. And so um, I think a lot of people assume because there are hot dishes in that, whether it's chicken madras all these kind of almost pantomime names that they're given uh, chicken fowl, which is probably you know, one of the fowl dishes vindaloo, mm-hmm. uh, which in its reality yes is a spicy dish right. made with pork and garlic and vinegar, and really has its uh, roots in Portugal, not in Britain <laughs> at all uh, so uh, vindaloo was based on a Portuguese dish, you know Goa where it comes from mm-hmm. was uh, until nineteen 19- the 1960s when it was a territory of Portugal right. And um, they brought along pork in wine with garlic that they shipped because that was a good way for them to kind of ship their their meats because it didn't go off on these long journeys. Mm. And then the locals then and the Portuguese brought vinegar and the Portuguese brought chilies to India. You know, they're not native to India, mm. so they brought chilies. And so locals there cooked it all together with palm vinegar they created and created this rather spicy but not blistering hot dish. <laughs> right. But I think a lot of that kind of machismo of it uh, came from the British curry houses right. of the kind of post Second World War era. So, mm. so when you eat an Indian dish, whatever it is, you should look for the nuances of the spices, which mm. biryani definitely has. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, I will use a little. Sometimes, if I cook the par, cook the rice, I'll make a little cheese cloth bag, a little bouquet garni almost. Mm. But it'll have star anise. It'll have clove. It'll have cinnamon. It'll have cardamom. It'll have. Maybe a piece of mace, you know. I'll play around with it, right. um, and I put it in that bag because I know quite often. Whereas I don't mind eating rice and getting a bit of spice in my mouth uh, because I'm used to it. But right. a lot of people who don't necessarily know the food will suddenly go, "Well, what's this?" Pulling out, you know, the twig that is cinnamon. <laughs> right. And so I put it in there so you get all the flavors, and but you don't necessarily get. Uh, any of the kind of downside of munching on a Mm -hmm. green cardamom, which is definitely a unique experience if you haven't done it. (laughs) Um, And so those flavors, so the aroma that comes out as that steams into the rice is something very very special. Um, And I think it's one of those things that we think of as food, we can be, in the West, we can be very... Stereotypical, and we think of you know French food, which I adore, or Italian food. We go, well, that's the height of cuisine. And and but when you look at Persia, when you look at Syria, when you look mm-hmm. at India, when you look at through Southeast Asia, to royal Thai food, the quality of food uh, the, at this high level is as good as yeah. anything that a scoffier or anybody else did. And I think a biryani is one of a uh, well done biryani is one of the perfect examples of how that works yep. the understanding of the processes is every bit as important as any of the greatest french dishes
0: absolutely i am um, coming to the sort of process of it i i'm fixated on this idea of sealing the pot with dough does it does the dough get used for something afterward
1: no no it's uh, you really just make a a a tube a kind of paste of uh, flour and water Hmm. that's it and you roll it out into a little tube and you put that around the top of the the pot and put push the lid on and then it seals okay and and there is a wonderful kind of moment when you take it out and i have a big pot that i cook mine in and you take it out of the oven and you snap that off and that's that first moment if you don't do it at the table when you're as the chef you know that first smell and I, I do, you know, I, God didn't give me this nose for my looks, I know that. <laughs> so when I, so I smell a lot of food and I often get trouble into trouble when I'm like sniffing food on the shows and people write <laughs> in and go, oh, that's disgusting. I go, well, <laughs> no, because that smell, that aroma, it's important. Is all sealed inside and when you open it and you get the, meat, the juices from the meat, whether it's, you know, there are other styles of biryani. There's one style where everything goes in raw. There are other styles like if you're using lamb sometimes I mm-hmm. use lamb shanks which I cut and I, I cut them because I want the bone marrow to escape into mm-hmm. the biryani as well from the, the which is just wonderful and r- really enrich enriches the dish but I'm going to pre lamb shanks take a while to cook so what right. I might do is pressure cook the lamb shanks with some of the spices or cook them on the stove just for a while till they begin to break down and mm-hmm. then I will put raw rice on top Okay. and flavors and that's a different style of biryani again as i said there are so many different styles that i think if you if you and there are there are now restaurants that specialize just in biryanis wow. and so if you can find those there are i have one very close to me here and i tend not to eat there, not because it's not terrific but because i'd much rather make one at home but sure. if you get a chance <laughs> to go through the different styles of biryani you will see that it's 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 You can see why it's worthy of all the arguments people in India and the Indian kind of diaspora have about Mm it. You know, I've had fantastic biryanis in the Middle East. I've had everywhere where the – I've had wonderful biryanis in Jamaica. Obviously, there was a huge Indian community Mm -hmm. in the Caribbean um, where they came as indentured – a lot of people, anyway, came as indentured servants post-slave – Uh, Emancipation post the end of slavery, Mm -hmm. Um, and they came as workers there. You'll see it in South Africa. You'll see it in, you know, I've had wonderful biryanis in Australia where there's a big Indian community, and and obviously you're calling from north of the border here, (laughs) and there's an immense Indian population there who contribute, you know, some of the best cuisine I've ever eaten, you know, when I've been in Canada. So, I think and and altered it again because you know there are local ingredients so. And they bring, particularly younger generations who maybe aren't in just looking at tradition, Mm -hmm. and bring some of their their own new trials to it. And so I think that notion of rice with stuff isn't meant to be demeaning. It just means that it's an it's an open playbook. Right.
0: I like that. I really. uh, I think there's something really, really cool about thinking about a dish as like. Like a playground almost for ingredients where you can kind of take the sort of simple base of it because because you know rice and stuff is it's it's simple it's two ingredients, it's rice and it's stuff but to to take that and say like, okay, so how can we do this in a way that feels true to us, you know based on our location, based on our history, based on our context uh, and then and bring that to a higher level and bring that to a place where it is super flavorful and and super nuanced and I love that I think that's so cool
1: i i think part of it is understanding the processes Mm -hmm. and i think sometimes when i talk to young chefs not understanding why something works is one of the areas where they need to kind of do more study Mm -hmm. so understanding how you know cutting up the lamb shank will release bone marrow which will do x understanding why rice cooked to 30 percent will do better in one style of biryani rice cooked to 70 percent in another understanding why raw rice well understanding the style of rice you have Mm. understanding why you go for the best rice because of the polish because of the understanding and i um kind of the ingredients that you put in it and why they're there Mm. i think is really really important and as i said you see this whether you see it with pulau's whether you see it with pilaf whether you see it with paella as i said all coming from these same words once you understand that, and I think you you can create something rather magical. But it's what I always say to chefs: learn how to play the piano before you go and try and play jazz. Right. And and I think that's the key. So for me, if you know, and the classic example is if you look at Rembrandt's very early pictures, you know, he was a very talented traditional painter. Mm-hmm. He had to be before he went off to right. his blue period. And his, he had to be. It wasn't just random scrawls on a piece of paper. Mm. And I think it's the same with the great cooks. The really great cooks that I've spent time with, if, if you sit with, yes, you know, I've just mentioned Food Network people like Alex Guarnicelli or you watch them, their understanding of process means that they can then apply that. That's why they're so good at competitions. Right. Because you could throw four ingredients and they go, well, I know that that is the equivalent of this and that's the equivalent of this and this will sit with that and I can cook this to make that. Right. And so I think that to me is one of the kind of most important things for young chefs. And the biryani is a perfect example. You know, like I said, paella is rice with stuff, right. but it's a different context of rice with stuff. So if you understand it, and I, I think for a, a really great chef, going and making a biryani will be a magical experience, even if you're not from, and why should you be, from that part of the world. Sure. you know, um, Food's there for everybody to make and enjoy. You just have to treat it with... The respect of the area from which it came mm-hmm. and do the due diligence of kind of learning about it.
0: Yeah absolutely. That's, uh, I I think a lot about that in terms of, I'm a big barbecue person. These days, Uh most of what I do is grill. I think a lot about the process of, you know, making sure that I am thoughtful about what cut of meat I'm using, making sure that I'm thoughtful about what goes into the rub or the blend of spices and whatnot that I'm putting into it. And if I'm marinating it, how long am I going to marinate it for? And, you know, making sure that I'm setting up direct zone, indirect zone, yada, yada. And then kind of really paying attention to that whole that whole step-by-step, that process, and that time that goes into it, I think is really, it's really important. And I think it's something that we can forget about really easily because everyone's in a hurry and because everyone is, you know, used to convenience and used to, you know, things being like, you know, I'm just going to throw this in the microwave and eat it. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, a lot of stuff that you can microwave is great, but there's there is something really... There's, there's something almost hol- holistic, maybe isn't the right word, but it's what I'm gonna say. There's something holistic about, oh. you know, food that, that takes time and that takes understanding.
1: And I actually agree. And I think some of the, the, the not that there's any benefits to the lockdown and to <laughs> obviously the horrible things that have happened to mm-hmm. to many people, and you know, but if I've had one kind of bonus, that's come out is I've been able to take time to go. Yeah. I'm usually, and you talked about the number of things that I do, whether I'm writing or as a food critic or as a, yeah, I'm not at home that often and I'm traveling a lot and I don't, you know, biryani is something that takes time. Right. Um, And so it's not as, it never used to be as often that I would make it, but now I'm at home. I go, well, I'm going to make that or it might take me two days because I'm going to marinate this. And I think having that moment of time, if nothing else, can be a bonus from this rather wretched period for most of us. Yep. Um, and I think just doing that, and I think what happens is, we, it's what you said, we're so rushed with food now, and that's why a lot of the biryanis tended to be, in restaurants tended to be, well, we'll cook some rice, and we'll cook some food, and we'll th- when we're ready to serve, we'll throw one throw on top together, of the other, yeah. <laughs> and we'll throw some garnishes on top, fried onions, sliced boiled eggs, a tomato or two, mm. And we'll wheel it out, and you can make it look pretty, but the moment you eat it, you know that rice and meat for one. To if it's meat, or it could be. Ve- I do a uh, butternut squash one uh, biryani that works very very well. I bet. Um, but rice, <laughs> but rice and rice and meat for uh, when you you know that they've never been together until that point. Right. And those are two, and that that is not. Of biryani. Right. That genuinely is just rice and stuff and it might be tasty enough and serve a purpose, but don't call that biryani right. because a biryani takes time. And we've been, you know, cooking biryanis in, well, in India, cooking biryanis for six, seven hundred years and have lots of different styles and people have come, literally come to blows over them, you know, over the styles of biryani <laughs> and what's served with it. And so I think you kind of have to show it due respect. To yeah. me, I would put a I would put a well-made biryani arguably in my top 5 dishes of all time Wow. for me of m- my time like the greatest biryanis and that's I, I just think it, it 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 deserves that because of its history and because of the quality and you've had one yep. you know and I I don't know the you know the nature of the restaurant you went to but I'm guessing you you know you know food so I'm guessing it was a good place yeah but when you have one and you and you taste it and you go wow then you 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 can understand that.
0: Yeah, totally. No, that's it. It's uh, you know, I I said wow when you said you put it in your top five, but I I mostly said wow because because I'm like, yeah, cool. That is a a glowing endorsement. But I definitely get it. I'm
1: I'm gonna have to go cook another one now. Maybe this weekend.
0: <laughs> what uh, what are you gonna put in this one?
1: Well, there are so like I said, there are so many different styles, and sometimes you know it is. I'll just make I say a simple <laughs> chicken one. which is marinated in yogurt and spices. I have a recipe on my website on simonmajumda.com. Marinated in yogurt and onions and spices and garlic paste and ginger paste. and Put that at the bottom of the pan. And then I put about 30% cooked rice on top. And then I put fried onions on top of that and mint and cilantro. And then dribble, as I said, that saffron water over the top, which kind of gives you that wonderful two-tone skin. Mm. Seal it in. Not long. Yeah, be, uh, the chicken's going to cook fairly quickly in there. It's all kind of sealed in, um, and you again, that's just timing. You just know, right? And you, and then when you break it out, and again, that smell. The rice should come apart from the other grains of rice. It shouldn't be stuck together. It right. shouldn't be wet. It's one of the great arguments I always have with my wife here. So my wife is Filipino American, mm-hmm. yeah, and I'm obviously British, uh, British Indian or Anglo Indian, and so. We our biggest arguments that we ever have are about the type of rice that we know. A, a lot of it I do just to wind her up. But she believes she's from Southeast Asia. You know, short rice, sticky together rice. Right. And I always go when I know when I need to kind of prod her a bit. I always go, yeah, rice that sticks together. It's just, yeah, you know, it's just not a sign of a civilization. What are you thinking of? And then she goes, well, it's yeah. Then she'll go come back with her own. Well, how can you have rice that doesn't stick together and doesn't hold any of the sauce? But it's very interesting how rice in two different forms can be treated in two very different ways uh, by two cuisines that are not that far apart in terms of geography. Sure. Yeah. Um, That I, I, that again, I love. But for a biryani, don't use short grain rice or Mm. medium grain. Medium grain rice for a paella, short grained rice for a risotto, and for kind of jasmine rice to stick together Mm. for what a wonderful sauce to have, whether it's in. The Philippines or Southeast Asia or Korea or whatever, you know, and and um, Pae and Pae are always a medium grain rice. Mm. This is what I always say. So they have they they they're, they're the right length. You know, God knew what he was doing. He made the right length for different purposes.
0: Yeah, there's no there's no such thing as a bad grain of rice. You just have to use it for the right thing.
1: Absolutely, and I think go and support you know, go to your local stores. I buy from we have. Uh, wonderful markets here supplying a lot of the Mexican community. You know, um, and LA obviously has great Mexican, mm-hmm. not just cuis- uh, cuisine, but obviously population right. and wonderful stores. So I can go in there and actually buy wonderful medium grain rice if I'm making uh, paes, and it's as good as I would get in Spain. And then I, you know, my wife has good access to you know proper short grain rice and. You know, even when we're in the Philippines her, her parents grow rice which is just some of the best rice wow. I've ever eaten that's awesome um and then I go to my Indian store here and you can smell it the smell <laughs> you go to the corner of the Indian store where they have the big Hessian sacks of you know um, of basmati rice and you can smell it and you c- I could stand there all day I mean I think there should be some kind of shower aroma <laughs> with that flavor you've got to be careful though I have I have had expert not uh, while I've been there, but experiences in India of people opening up their sacks of Hessian rice and having spiders come out. Oh, stuff. boy. So <laughs> I, I don't... I, I hate add, I've only heard that a couple of times in my life, but I think it was more common back in India than it is here where they go through all kinds of checks and things. Sure. Uh, but, um, you know, um, I'm putting people off making it now.
0: Well, just, you know, always check your rice for spiders before you eat it. Yeah, you know, always. Yeah, it's, yes. it's just a good... to do no matter what you're doing, make sure you're not about to be a spider.
1: Definitely a good rule for life. (laughs)
0: I'm going to take a minute here in the middle of the show. Are you guys enjoying this? I'm enjoying this. This was super fun. Uh, I'm going to take a minute here in the middle of the show to let you guys know about a little giveaway I'm doing over on Instagram. Uh, If you follow the show on Instagram at downwithtalking, you'll see one of our very recent posts uh, includes information about a giveaway we're doing. I have a gift card for DoorDash. DoorDash is a food delivery service that you can use online to get food delivered to your house, you know, from restaurants that you like in your neighborhood uh so if that is something that you want to do if you want to get some food delivered to you theoretically for free if you go for less than the amount on the gift card then uh, go to my instagram at downwithtalking uh, or my instagram at tom's and i'll do a post on both of them and uh, follow the instructions there to enter into the draw to maybe win a gift card for doordash so that you can get some free food yay food that's it that's the mid-roll for this episode back to the rest of my interview with simon So I don't want to take up too much more of your time tonight. Um, I do have one final question for you, and this comes from friend of the show, Billy F., who is uh, coming up on a future episode of the show, a uh, longtime friend of mine who is a chef and a wine connoisseur and uh, currently doing a lot of research into diplomacy. And he uh, wants to know what your favorite meal that didn't taste that good was. So something that you think back to fondly, but it wasn't actually that tasty. And obviously you don't have to name names if it's, you know, damning of the person who made it.
1: I think to answer that, he, he, I'm saying he, you said? uh, Yeah. uh, Yeah. Sorry. I want to make sure I give everyone the right pronouns these days because uh, that's the right thing to do. But um, I, for me, a lot of eating the great food isn't always about just the taste of the food. It's about context. Sure. Um, And so I wouldn't say not tasty, but some of the simplest meals have been some of my very, very best. Uh, And so, in fact, there's a dish, and and I definitely mean that it was tasty in this case, because it was, but it was very simple. Hmm. Another dish that's rice and stuff, in fact, (laughs) which is is from Senegal. uh, uh, I I met someone there, and they took me to their home in a city called Rafisk, which is just outside of Dhaka and uh, i always remember going in a slightly kind of bobbling car that i wasn't sure the doors were going to fall off and, and we went out there and they made um a dish called Thiebugen, which is fish and rice and it's uh, chunks of fish and scotch bonnet peppers okay. which were i think were, were brought to to there by the in the french in this case i think and they would just cook them together and it's a it's a simple dish but absolutely astonishing. But it was the hospitality of the people. Mm-hmm. We shared a big communal plate. And while I was eating, the the other people at the plate kept on pushing all of the best pieces of fish, all of the best pieces of you know, the rice, the onions, the peppers, all of the things there to my side of the plate. So they were that? always in front of the guest, And that kind of hospitality is... something I've talked about this on a number of podcasts recently because people have been asking me my best meals. Sure, yeah. And I go, yes, you know, I eat... I eat. I'm very fortunate. I've eaten some of the best chefs in the world around the world. I've traveled to however many countries now, certainly approaching, if not past 100. And I've eaten some of the best food in the world. Wonderful. And I enjoy it. And I'm very grateful that I get to do it. But they aren't necessarily the best. The best are the ones where I have incredible hospitality. Right. Um, You know, uh, and of course, look, I could. Like Tony Bourdain or Andrew Zimmer, I could give stories about eating rotten shark meat in Iceland and rat in China and yada yada all of that stuff. But that's not to me what food I ate it because I was there and I wanted to try different foods. Sure, that's not what it's about. It's about hospitality. Mm-hmm. And when so it could literally be someone giving me here's a piece of bread, and that would be in you know in a circumstance where I was desperate and needed bread. Yeah, you know, and I think that would be one of the great meals of my life. So sure. I think, in a way, uh, it's it's not about kind of the tastiness, it's, or the simplicity, or the the processes in that instance mm-hmm. that go into it. It's just about sharing it. And you know, sharing a meal with someone is to me the greatest kind of pleasure on earth. And and preparing meals for others that I prepare for others to share. Yeah, I think that kind of notion of breaking bread. So I'm not sure if that answers the question. But I think but it's a good answer either way. <laughs> hopefully the, it will appeal to the gastro... Uh, you know, diplomacy. I, I need, I've never heard of that. Maybe I should do that as a well Perhaps I do do that as a career. I'll have to put that on I think I'm a gastro diplomat.
0: So not to like spoil a future episode of the show, but I, I actually recorded an episode with Billy about that. That's going to come out after this one. And I'll send that to you once it does. Oh, uh, well, wonderful. We, I
1: can't wait to hear it.
0: We kind of make the case that food network personalities are sort of modern gastro diplomats. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean no no further spoilers. So we'll save it for a future episode. No, no, but
1: but I know um, you know for me I yeah, we're coming up when we're recording this we're coming up to a very important time in American politics mm-hmm. and I'm not going to talk about the politics about it, but I you know I'm a very liberal guy, you know, I come from a very liberal background. But I can sit down with people of different religions, different politics, different everything and once I start sharing a meal with them, you realize For all the opportunities we take to kind of hate each other for want of a better way, particularly here in the United States right now, we're not that different. Mm -hmm. And food, yeah, my argument is you can't have a row with someone when you've got a mouthful of ribs. You'll understand that. You're a barbecue guy. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, You know, uh, or you can't say to someone at a table, I hate your guts, but can you pass the potatoes? You know, (laughs) it doesn't work. Food brings a level of civility. Mm and cooking for someone and sharing that with them, it brings a level of love for want of, you know, sounding too cliche that I don't think anything else does, perhaps playing music, is capable of.
0: That's fair, yeah, I think that's a good uh, good comparison.
1: And, and to end that by opening, so cooking a great biryani, so you have to try and cook one, and opening that at a table with four or five people all leaning over ready for the first big sniff is is something very special. So if you haven't done that,
0: you should give it a try. Yeah. Well, it's on my list for sure. Once, uh, I mean, I guess I have four people in my house. We'll start there, and then uh, maybe someday, <laughs> maybe someday I'll be careful. able to you, have people over again.
1: You could do a toddler version yeah. as well. So you, <laughs> I don't know what you would put in the toddler version. but He's,
0: uh, he's pretty adventurous. He, uh, he, he doesn't really uh, have any aversions to food. So I think I would just make it normal and, uh, you know, see what it, happens. It also
1: stands up for your friend who's into wine tasting. It also... A good bir- biryani stands up to lots of different types of wines. Mm-hmm. You can go down da- down the kind of oaky Chardonnay route, which will work whether you go to kind of white burgundies and something like that, and it works incredibly well. You can also go down a totally different path and have something that's very red, rich and spicy, like a Rioja or something, and mm-hmm. it works incredibly well. So
0: Before we get cut off, I just want to give you a chance to plug everything you've got going on right now and uh, tell people where they can find you.
1: Absolutely. So if people want to get hold of me, I, you know, at Simon Majumda on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. There's just me, I think, with that name. So, and it really is me. So if people come on and ask me questions, it's me. I, you know, I am my people, (laughs) for want of a better way of putting it. Um, And also, if they do enjoy food history, enjoyed what I've talked about Mm -hmm. today, uh, eatmyglobe.com. Is the website, but you can find the new episodes, you know, launching today on all your favourite food, you know, all, all your favourite podcast apps. Please give us, you know, reviews. And the other thing I will mention is we've just launched, and we've never asked for um, sponsorship. This is very much a labour of love, but we have created a Patreon page. Sweet because some people have asked if they could support us, so we've right. created a kind of different levels of bundles of swag, oh, cool. including Eat My Glow mugs and things. So if people want to come and support us so we can buy more research material and you know just do more because it is very much a labor of love I do while I'm doing you know the stuff that pays the bills. <laughs> so please, yeah, if, if people want to come on and look at the Patreon page, I'd be really grateful. But in any case, I hope they go and listen to the episodes and... and and enjoy them. I hope they make. I hope it makes them enjoy, you know, their food, whether it's a plate of fish and chips or a cup of tea or beef bar- barbecue or whatever it is. I hope it makes them just stop and think about it a little bit more.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I will uh, include links to all the stuff that you just mentioned in the description of this episode for ease of access.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much,
0: Simon. Thank you. This was amazing. I'm gonna figure out how to end a Zoom call now. It's the first time I'm doing this. <laughs> there it is. See <laughs> right, so ya. Yeah. Take care. So I hope you enjoyed that interview with Simon Majumder. Thanks again to Simon for making the time to do my show this week. And a very big thank you to Sybil Villanueva for helping to coordinate schedules and make this happen. Sybil, you are the best. Uh, I do want to let you guys know that if you're interested in an extended version of this interview that is also video-based, so you can see both of us at unflattering angles in low lighting, wouldn't you like to see that? Uh, You can go to patreon.com slash upfordiscussion. That has been uploaded there as an exclusive for my patrons. Uh, You'll get to hear me and Simon chat a little bit after the episode is over uh just about kind of stuff and things so if that is interesting to you if you liked rice and stuff and want to hear us talk about stuff and things you can go to patreon.com slash up for discussion and donate as little as a dollar to see that do you have a favorite way to cook biryani do you have a favorite biryani you've eaten at a restaurant do you have a story about biryani or maybe a story about some other kind of rice and stuff you can tell me all about it on twitter and instagram at downwithtalking or at tonsalatnai Again, if you do want to support the show financially, I will not say no. You can head to patreon.com slash up for discussion to do that. For as little as a dollar a month, you'd be joining the ranks of fine folks like Patrick, Gabriel, Kendall, and Carlea, Thomas, George, Poppy, Killian, Sarah, Angelica, Will, Anne, Andrew, Laura, Kate, Erica, and our newest patron chantal our patrons get access to our discord server the ability to request topics for episodes of the show invites to exclusive zoom dinner parties and so much more that's patreon.com up for discussion we also have merch you can hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get all sorts of great stuff from our lovely friends over at TeePublic. and of course you can support us for free by leaving a rating or review on your podcatcher of choice and by sharing this episode with a friend our theme music is by Zach Ingalls and our cover art is by David Flam. You can find links to support both of them in the description of this episode and also links to everything that Simon and I talked about that I have links for. Uh, last but not least, the show is produced and edited by me, Tom Zalat and I, as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. I hope you understand It just takes a little time It takes Dragons. Canada. The Multiverse Theory. Corgis. Queer representation. Reconciliation. Angels. Demons. Squirrels. Plaid. Moose. Moose and squirrels. Sorcerers. Dinosaurs. Barbarians. Forests. Giants. Rogues. Warlocks. Plains. Sewers. Lavender natural toonie a canadian dungeons and dragons podcast right here on the upford network hi there i'm nick hughes the son and i am james hughes the father together we co-host canada's young leaders a podcast exploring bold ideas for our country's future
1: our third and final season focuses specifically on climate change how we got here and where we need to go
0: We'll be speaking with young environmental leaders about the roles of governments, corporations, and individuals in combating this crisis. And also thinking about the role of the COVID-19 pandemic in the climate movement. So, if
1: you're someone who is concerned about climate change and wants to learn more, check out Canada's Young Leaders, a very proud member of the Upford Network.